All right, man. Welcome to Pro Triple Seven Radio. This is episode 462. Jason Lingren is with me and Mr. David Avocado Wolf returns. Uh, we're going to have a fascinating discussion with him as we always do. Basically, we're going to open the gate talking about some oils, specifically olive oil. This meshes well with some of the food episodes we've done where we're basically showing how much food is not food, but it masquerades as food. Off the side of that conversation, uh, with Rose and others came an oil conversation. So we're going to do some clarification. We're going to use olive oil primarily, but David Avocado Wolf has been growing clean, pure American tobacco, and that's going to be the main thrust of what we do. So after oil ideas, we're going to get into ba- tobacco. And I will say when he visited me, he brought some of his pure, unadulterated American tobacco. Amazing. Anyhow, welcome, Jason. And a not very warm good morning. Yeah, it got real cold. Buffalo is supposed to get three feet. Luckily, I'm not Buffalo. Um, anyhow, welcome, David. Thanks so much for having me, guys. Great to be here. All right. What's new? What's been going on? Let's catch up real quick. Well, we're in a cold spell down here in Texas. Looks like it's going to be a cold winter. I was able to get into Canada. So for every Canadian fan that listens to the show, um, thank God they're changing that border situation. And uh, up there, they were telling me it looks like it's going to be a cold winter because all of the Hornets, bees, related wasps, they're all in the they were all in the earth this summer. And that means a cold winter is coming in. So that's my that's my suspicion. It's already started. You know what I think maybe playing the game, as I have mentioned way too many times on the air, exactly three days ago, I was on the beach adjacent to my neighborhood, 77 degrees, actually hot. I would have classified it as even a little humid. I'm in shorts and flip-flops, and now I'm in the low 40s. What's been going on here is I've been watching the spring, and they're playing games. What they did in my state was they wanted to say out loud for a week or two that we broke all heat records and global warming is going to kill us. What they started to do at the beginning of their little effort was say, oh, we only missed the record by two degrees, but the low was higher than the low of all time. So they started messing with the low temperature. Eventually, as the month ended, uh, what they were able to claim, whether or not it's true, I have no idea, is that they had seven of the warmest days on record, which had never happened. But the day that beat the last record, the hottest day, beat it by one degree. Guess when that record was set? 1909. Global warming, my freaking patootie. It's, <laughs> it's circular. So I think they've been messing with the temperature. And there may be a blowback to that, right? If you push away the cold... Maybe it comes back with a vengeance. I don't know. Could be. I I think they're definitely working on a strategy where they go directly from summer into winter. So we just get a very quick, maybe four to six week autumn, and maybe we'll get a four to six week spring. That's kind of a pattern I've been seeing over the years, especially the last 10 years. It seems like it's happening right now. So what I've seen of the the you know the state of the union here is it seems like we've witnessed a lot of fails lately. And what they're going to do now is try to do catch-alls where you can't really avoid it. Like when the power goes out, what are you going to do about that, right? If you have a generator, you go on. PayPal is a perfect example. So many of the podcasters took a huge hit in October, right as October joined. Believe me, this was one day after the Vatican's money had supposedly been returned to the Vatican. They gave 30 days warning, send all our assets home. For what reason? You know, never happened in history. It has to be with banking, right? Well, a day later, everyone who has PayPal subscribers starts to lose them. A couple of days after that, they make their threat. $2,500 to anyone who talks nonsense according to what we say is nonsense. 
couple, couple days after that, actually like one day after that, we didn't say that we didn't mean to say that we would never find anyone $2,500. We have no idea how this was released. A couple days after that, they sneak that very language. They just denied right back into their policy. It sounds like new world order garbage to me. It's right. just, this is so in their playbook. It just, we're so sick of it. This, this is just underhanded. See what you saw at the border. And like I got warned monkeypox was coming in August, six months before it happened. It did August one. It lasted three days before it petered out. No one's buying. Jason's just telling me that our make-believe corporate government is apparently going to end the COVID emergency. Well, I did that like in 2020, I ended my own COVID emergency. People are not buying and we're seeing a lot of fails. My point being is I think what we're going to see are these big things that are not easy to sidestep, like literally the power went out or literally some other manufactured thing that affects a hell of a lot of people. My point is, I don't think they're doing so well. I agree. I agree. I think we're we're on the we're on the uh, comeback list right now. We're we're gaining ground. We're scoring points on the board. So they're going to try something big. I mean, I think this FTX disaster is is one of those little dominoes that they're pushing to keep the uh, financial troubles afoot because they want their centralized digital bankster currency, the CBDC. That's where they're trying to drive everybody into the slave digital currency. And uh, we'll see. But my guess is they're going to keep throwing big nets out there exactly as you were saying that's going to catch a lot of people and then they try to try to drive the normal narratives this you know the gaslighting the fear programming to get people to do what they want and again the big one we don't want to ever cross or a couple of them digital id and the cbdc the centralized bankster digital control that's out well they're going to unify them all if they get that they're going to put that all as one big thing and then the control mechanism and why do you want an electric car? I mean, let's tie that into it too, so we can shut you off when you piss us off. Now they've got kill switches that that was legislated. So if you have a smart car of any kind, there's a kill switch in your car, and if there isn't, next time you go to get serviced, it'll just be put in because it's it's not like they're adjusting your plugs anymore. They plug you into a computer. But I'll say a thing here: for all the people that I have annoyed by bad mouthing crypto, which just to be fair, I'm never going to stop. Crypto could have been a good thing. Unfortunately, we live in this world. And that's why crypto will never be a good, at least not as it exists now. And the reason for that is because there's a banking cartel that's been in place for centuries. And as far as I can tell, they've never really lost at any level that matters. And they don't tolerate you know, competition. That's the problem. Could we have had a sane world where crypto came in and great things? It, it could have been, but it's not going to be that way. Not, not until the world changed to such a degree that we're not talking about the maniac, you know, maniacal overlords. Anyhow, let's get into the main thrust of this. So, David, let's jump in with, uh, with olive oil. And I've got to say, you've sent me so many. You want, you want to know something? You sent me your coconut butter when mom was sick, which I used. And then when I got worried it was a choke hazard, I switched over to the coconut oil. But there's just, they're so high quality. And the funny thing about oil is... You don't notice what high quality is until you have it, right? Exactly. Precisely. Now, you know, when we dig into these rabbit holes, I'm in the food rabbit hole. I've been in that niche for almost 30 years and I've seen the shenanigans that go on. And one of the big shenanigans is the world olive oil industry where they're cutting the olive oil. They're stretching it. Basically, they're cutting it with cottonseed oil. They're cutting it with corn oil. They're cutting it with soybean oil. And they're just trying to stretch it out. And, you know, they use all different kinds of contaminants as well. So unless you really have a chain of custody where you go, okay, this olive oil came from this farm. I can trust these people because I know these people. It's very likely 
that your olive oil is contaminated. And this is more common in a restaurant environment where you can't, you know, where restaurants are buying big amounts in huge containers and they're not keeping an eye on the quality. So this is something that just, again, in the food rabbit hole, they have tried every dirty trick. They continue to try every dirty trick. They try to cut every corner and you just have to go to quality and seek out the best. Now, olive oil and olives in general, I really want to get into that because that to me is one of the great longevity discoveries in, in human history. Olive oil extends lifespan by nine to 18% in a human being. That is very, wow. very substantial. That's in fact, that I'd say that's number one of anything ever discovered. And, and we can get into why that is. But to me, it's really important, of course, again, that, yeah, we can go down that Mediterranean diet path. We can go after these great discoveries. But if you don't got the quality, you're just going to be contaminating yourself with more of the crap of civilization, the glyphosates, the atrazines, the cottonseed oil. And my God, you know, what else gets into these things? And soybean oil. Soy, by the way, in my research, Number one in estrogen, highest estrogen content is in soy, way too high to be a food that would be, that would be something you'd put into the population's diet. So it's, it's, it's a bit of the feminization efforts that we've seen and the gender games that we've seen, which, uh, you know, people have such hot reflexes on these, what it's about from my point of view, it's about birth rate. It's what it's always been about. Uh, they want less people here. The reason is, is, you know, right now they're trying to tell us there's however many billion they're trying to tell us. Jason and I did the research that showed that it had been dropping for almost every culture, most cultures, I'll say, since the 70s. And so this food game that we're talking about seems to be related because I wasn't aware. I knew the Mediterranean diet was a big deal. I'm Greek, half Greek, by the way. But I was not aware that you could get an 18% bump in best scenario from olive oil. And what that made me think of the moment you said it, how many people have seen the old like Roman or supposed Greek marketplaces where there's all the holes in the ground for the olive oil amphora? I mean, olive oil was almost like currency. So it's crazy. But let me ask you, if you get subpar olive oil, uh, can you smell it? Like, you know what good olive oil, the, what I do is there's like, you know, the California one in the green square bottle. Yes. That's my middle of the road go-to if I can't do any better. All the things that I typically feel are the best are imported from Italy because I have a cheese shop. Problem is you pay for that, right? I don't want to pay 20 bucks for a bottle of olive oil, but how do you feel about like the California square green jar? It smells, it tastes like olive oil. And there's no indicator that I have found that it's jacked in some way. It's probably good. I mean, I, you know, I always go through every hoop that that farm has gone through. For example, if they're certified organic, I mean, not that certified organic is much better than what's out there. It is better. It's not much better. At least they jump through that hoop. If they've gotten an award or two or three or four, that's more hoops they've jumped through. If they're biodynamic, certified biodynamic, even more hoops that they've jumped through. And so I'm looking for those quality certifications. You know, I love Acropolis olive oil, for example, out of Crete off the North shore of Crete, because I know the family, they've got an olive oil or they have an olive tree on that farm. That's over 4,000 years old. Wow. And that's really something. And just, just the way that they are about it, they know, you know, I, I, I contact them. And I'm like, okay, you guys have the real big olives. Send me a whole, I want like three or four vacuum packed containers of that stuff. I mean, these are olives that are the size of, of the small avocados that we grew up with in San Diego, Crow. Wow. Are they big. pitted? Do they have pits? They have pits. And, and then you see, by the way, when you see the olives that big, you see the similarity between the laurel family, avocados, a laurel, 
olives are a laurel and you can see the the similarity between the two the two plants and the two amazing fruits. And, and of course, you know, these fruits are fatty fruits, which is very important to have in our diet. We can't really trust the fat sources too much in our world today. The, of, of course, the toxins in our environment accumulate into the fats of animals in particular. So we have to be very careful what kind of fats we're ingesting because, you know, that becomes that just like us and a human being, the fat is where all the toxins sit. You know, and then the fat protects you from those toxins and it, the fat is loaded with toxins. And that's why when we fast or detoxify or lower our fat, we can go through quite a, quite a roller coaster, ups and downs of detoxification. Same is true with animals. So a, a nice, clean plant-based fat, like avocado, olives, olive oil, very important part of the diet. Isn't it interesting how the words have meaning plays into so much of what you're talking about? I was not aware that olives were laurels. What does the word laurel mean when we hear it, right? It's like winged victory on your shoulder, right? That's what they used to give that little, uh, I, I guess it might've even been olive crown that they gave people. That was an award. That was a, you won. That was an attaboy, laurel. And so from the laurel family, what you're saying is you can deduce an oil that was like lifeblood back then for cooking and everything else, all kinds of things, medical, um, all kinds of things. So it's actually extending your life. And of course, it's in the laurel family. I just find that interesting. There's two pieces of, of the olive puzzle that over the years, and especially growing up in San Diego, I really wanted to research what was really going on with the olive tree. One thing is that when you let the olive tree do its thing, naturally the fruits will eventually turn black. And that's telling you the ancient Taoist wisdom about black foods, that black foods extend life. Now, when you're aware of how the olive oil does its process, for, so for example, our, our kind of Western idea is that, oh, you know, the fruit's ripe. You walk up to the tree and you pull the ripe fruit off of it and you eat it. That is rarely ever true with any fruit in the world. Almost always the fruit drops on the ground and ripens on the ground or, you know, it's something like that. It never really ripens on the tree. Avocados are a good example of that. An avocado doesn't ripen on the tree. It drops to the ground and then it ripens on the ground. And olives can ripen up even months later after falling off the tree. So they can fall off and be somewhat kind of like purplish and you know, you're like, oh, is this thing even ripe? You try to eat it, it tastes terrible. But if you leave it there on the ground through the winter, now they're dropping from the trees, by the, by the way, in San Diego, for example, in Los Angeles. Um, if you leave it there through the winter and you show up in February, March, April, then they'll be ripe on the ground because the, the winter rains have washed out the tannins and the sun has ripened up those olives underneath that tree. And you will get this most amazing flavor and oiliness from those truly naturally ripened olives, which is just a favorite thing for me personally. Um, I've been in places like, you know, the old city of Jerusalem, all around the old city of Jerusalem, you know, there's those Atlantean walls there, the megalithic walls, and there's olive trees growing all around it. There's not a single person there eating any of the olives underneath any of those trees, except for basically me and my friends. That's it. I mean, that's, you know, that's when you understand that it just your change in awareness or perspective suddenly creates resources that weren't even there before. Nobody even knows like what the olive tree really is anymore because we've just been so dumbed over by, oh, it's just, you, you know, you've got to salt it, brine it. You've got to press it into an oil, et cetera. Now, when we express the oil out, there's something that's in the fruit and in the leaves and all throughout the olive tree. There's one of the most amazing compounds. It's a yellow green iridoid. That's so it's a yellow green pigment that is known as oleoropine. And oleoropine is an antiviral par excellence, which means essentially whatever viruses are, you know, obviously we're getting the wrong story about that, but essentially it's one of the most powerful anti-parasite and antibacterial microbial substances ever known. 
and it's and it's also very good against many different types of breast cancer because it is the i would say the best blocks the reproduct the way that the cancer cells are stimulated to reproduce due to hormonal triggers it blocks those triggers that's called it's actually called let me see if i can get this term out it's a um passion flowers like this too it's an error oh here i got it it's an aromatase inhibitor oleoropines and aromatase inhibitor. Now that keeps, for example, toxic estrogens from becoming flipping over and becoming triggers for breast cancer, for example. But wait a minute, Passiflora has that as well? The fruit yes. or the plant? The flower? The, the fruit? flower. The flower, the flower has flower. it. Yep. And there's other things that have it. It's also resveratrol to some degree has this property as well. These aromatase inhibitors are very important for preventing reproductive cancers. And one of the best ones is oleorupi. Now, because of your Greek ancestry and because of my Persian ancestry, for sure, these are things we're naturally oriented towards. And, and probably because of that ethnic background, we should really focus more on olives in our lifestyle and in our food and in our diet because of the, just the known benefits of everything about the olive tree. Again, the olive leaf has the olorupine, the olive oil has it, the fruits have it, and is one of the most powerful immune modulators of all. You know, where I grew up in East County, San Diego, four or five miles away from your place, we had olive trees all over. They turned, you know, if you stepped on them on the driveway, they put that dark purple down. And unfortunately, I was too young and hadn't gotten to a point where I could have done so much. But I wanted to ask you, did you ever take the hike up into Proctor Valley? There was ancient by San Diego standards, a very old olive grove up there. Did you ever see that? When I was a kid? Yes. Yeah, and, and it like it proceeded, it seemed to precede the building of the East County where you and I grew up out there in the mountains. But I, I wanted to ask you, so if you were to take like one of these adulterated bottles, the bad stuff that's like five, 10% olive oil. And the rest is like canola oil, which is what I often see. If you don't read carefully, it doesn't smell the same, right? It doesn't smell like olives per se, not, not like olive oil. Right. It's missing the polyphenol fraction, which is really something you can see. So for example, if I had a really high polyphenol olive oil, like Acropolis, for example, which I love, there's many other great ones out there. You'll see it. You could tell it's, it's just a darker, richer, and more, um, it's, it's more homogenized in the mix in the sense of like, you're going to have some separation and there's going to be a very, uh, it's going to have a very thin consistency when you have a, an adulterated olive oil. Right, right, right. So we should talk about using it. Like from, from me, the first thing, one of the first things that I did many like decades ago is I quit cooking my eggs in butter. Eggs are one of the primary sources of protein in my diet. I don't eat a lot of meat. I don't eat any red meat. And actually, if I do eat red meat now, I feel horrible, man. I feel like I swallowed lead. It just like, you just feel drugged almost. But when you're using olive oil to say like cook eggs or other things, and by the way, it doesn't take long to get over the butter. At first you think, oh, this, these eggs taste like olive oil, but it doesn't take long to get used to it. But there's a very low smoke point on olive oil compared to other things. So if you hit the smoke point and I'm, you know what I'm thinking? I don't know if I'm right. I think the smoke point on olive oil is close to water boiling, you know, 212, something like that, 211, 212. I don't know if that's true, but it's very low. If you hit that smoke point, don't you immediately kill the flavor and immediately kill most of the nutrient benefits? 
yes. I mean, every chef knows if you hit that flashpoint, you immediately tur- you immediately move the the pan off the off the flame, and you turn the flame off. You know, it's gone too hot. And yes, of course, whenever you heat something too much, you're going to start breaking down its most vital components. Now, with olive oil, it is very you're 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 right about its importance in cooking. It does have a high flash point as compared to most monounsaturated oils. So it's a monounsaturated oil similar to what, you know, walnut oil would be or avocado oil or any any kind of nut or seed generally breaks down into a monounsaturated oil, olive oil being probably the most stable of all of them, I would say, and the best to cook with. And the history in Mediterranean climates of cooking with olive oil goes, it goes back thousands of years. The M4 that they transported these things in basically correlates directly to the fish shape that Victor Schauberger had talked about. And recently I dug into Wilhelm Reich, the the particular shape that he says is one of the rudimentary ergonomic is what he says, um, shapes in all of nature, which is basically the shape of the M4. I was, I found that to be fascinating, even though he doesn't reference the M4, he's just de- determining the shape by looking at microscopic amoebas and, and one celled organisms, which is fascinating. If you refine, so you'll often see refine. Well, first there's a few, there's virgin, there's cold pressed. Everyone should know that virgin and cold press are probably good things, but then you will also see refined and unrefined. Now here's the thing. I had to look it up because I said it and I was wrong. Unrefined olive oil, it's smoke point. That basically means the moment you burn it, when it goes to smoke is 375 Fahrenheit. But check this out. The top of the list is refined olive oil olive oil can go to 520. So if it's refined, have you lost benefits? Do you think? For sure. What what they're doing is they're stretching it out. So you're not getting as much oleoropine, if any at all, you're getting maybe what was the second pressing, you know, the virgin means the first pressing of the, out of the olive cake. And the next pressing will be a, you know, another one that they'll sell and they'll sell as many pressings as they can get out of the, out of the cake. So what they're doing is they're creating a big kind of a grinder situation. So there's a big stone on the bottom and then you have stones that roll over that, that stone that's on the bottom and you're crushing everything, the olive, the um, olive pit. And that's how the oil is originally squeezed out. And then the first pressing is the extra virgin. And then from then on, they'll use repeated pressings and even even spray things in there into the cake to get the rest of the oil off of there, even chemicals to get more of that, that olive oil out of there. So again, this is just the problems of the food industry. You've got to go to quality. You've got to know where it's all coming from or else you could get some cheapo product that is, you might as well be eating chemicals. So I wasn't even close. Typical extra virgin olive oil is 375 to 400. The smoke point is much higher than I thought. Uh, to put that into context, butter's smoke point, just regular butter, is at 300. But just so people know, here's the list. And by the way, I'm not kidding. Refined avocado oil and refined light olive oil, they call it, are at 520 and 465. The one that I had remembered as highest is peanut oil. Peanut oil burns at 450. Ghee which is basically clarified butter. If you don't know what clarified butter is, you take all your sticks of butter, you boil it, and there's this scum on top. You get rid of the scum and there's this oily, buttery, that's the clarified butter. That burns at 450. Corn oil, sunflower oil, and safflower oil burn at 450. Refined coconut, that's refined coconut oil, 450. Coconut is known to have a high smoke point. 
refined sesame, 410. Canola is down to 400. Grapeseed, 400. So I just think it's important to put those because what's happening when you cook is if you hit that smoke point, you've not only ruined the flavor, you've ruined a lot of the nutrition. But let's talk a minute about um, the real quality olive oils that I can find when I'm willing to pay more than $10 a bottle, which isn't always. <laughs> and when I do, I make it last a lot longer. Cold pressed, you know, that's the Gerson method, right? That's basically what Charlotte Gerson was doing with those vegetables life force is cold pressing them. Don't go above 80 degrees was her basic rule of thumb. But when you cold press the, the olive oil, that's a higher quality, right? That's right. And I have friends who've done that professionally with their olive oil farms for years where they've jacketed the entire pressing system, essentially the stone grinder in ice, essentially. And uh, and that makes a much more interesting final product because, again, that more heat, the more volatile changes, the lower the quality, and there's going to be some flavor changes as well. So to keep the most intact fruity elements, which is what you want from an olive oil, the best thing is to cold press it. Now, that's another thing that you have to really talk to the farmers and be like, are you really cold pressing it? How do you actually do it? How hot does that thing get? In most cases, it gets very hot when they're pressing it. So you really have to find an operation that does it with like the intent to make sure it's it stays under, for example, 100 degrees Fahrenheit through the whole process. So really, if you want to do a checklist and you're interested in good, healthy olive oil, because it is such a critically important oil to get into almost every diet out there. I don't know if there are some genetic makeups of people that don't jive with olive oil. If there are, I'm not aware of it. But the first thing is that first press, that virgin olive oil. The virgin means it's it's a higher quality. First time they're going to squish the cake. Second thing is cold pressed. And of course, as always, you got to look for additives. And if you want to get crazy, you're going to look, are they organic? You know, are they certified here or there? How are they doing this? But that's basically the breakdown, isn't it? That's, yep. That's what you want to look for. Now, that kind of brings us back to the original idea, which is the, you know, the main thing about olive oil is that you want to make sure it has enough oleoropine in it. it. It has the fruitiness in it. And therefore you're going to, you're going to try to detect that. And to me, like a good olive oil, I'll have it with like fruit in the morning. I'll put on my fruit, I'll put on berries. Um, I really like that. Actually, it's a really good combination. And by the way, there's research on that that shows that if you mix, let's say blueberries, I'm thinking of a Italian researcher with blueberries, you can increase the absorption of the antioxidants, the anthocyanins, those blue and purple pigments in blueberries by two, three, five, even as much as 10 times with the presence of olive oil there. And that's because most of these really interesting color pigments are oil soluble. So if we just ate tons of blueberries, most of it goes through us in terms of the absorption of those anthocyanins, those really important pigments. But if you have olive oil present, you radically increase the uptake of those important anthocyanin antioxidant color pigments. And to me, that's really the real medicine. If people know my stuff, you'll know that for many, many years, almost 10 years now, I've been really on the color pigments themselves as the medicine. So for example, oleoropein is a color pigment. It's an iridoid yellow green color pigment. And if we really were to have a real civilization crow, the smart thing to do would probably be to to research the most obvious thing. The most obvious thing about food is its colors. And just the way our civilization has gone about this, we've studied that last. It's fascinating to me. I just like, wow, even that is last. South Korea still does it. Just they have an ancient well, by our standards, an ancient method 
where their food is grouped off by color. And when I was there, I began to realize how, and that's starting to be ruined now. You know, there's starting to be the KFC syndrome and other things. It used to be that there were two refrigerators or two systems in every home to make the kimchi. Kimchi is very healthy. There's a million ways to make it. Just depends on the family doing it. They used to bury it in the ground a lot to make the kimchi. But the point I'm making, as I was told when I was there, uh, one of the ways you can know you're being healthy in Korea is you, if you eat every color available because they have schematized it in such a way that if you get all the colors, you get all the nutrients you're seeking. So it's still done in South Korea, as far as I know. Genius. Didn't know that. Awesome. Is genius. There's a lot of things about Korea that are fantastic. And there's a lot of things that are really hardcore compared to what we do. They're very formal and very strict about things. But Jason, do you think I, Rose really wanted us to cover the oils. Um, Do you think we dropped anything? Should we do BSO or should we move on? So as far as uh, different flavored oils and all that, like the uh, the very nice lady that we got the uh, the products from. Carly. Yeah, Carly from the Vintage Olive. Everything she sent is really, really good, by the way. But is there anything about differences with the olive oils when they're uh, being infused with flavorings and things like that? Well, the higher the quality, the better the infusion. And it's a really cool thing to do is to take your, for example, your truffles. You know, if you're a Italian from the old days, you went and hunted your truffle mushrooms with your pig that was able to find them. And then you dug those out, dried them and threw them into the olive oil. And you made that truffle olive oil. And there's many other combinations. Zesty orange rind olive oils are really great. And there's just, you know, traditional ways of putting it all together. But of course, quality counts. And so the better quality of the olive oil, the better quality of that extraction. And I'm a, I'm a big fan of using um, not only oils, but alcohols and glycerins and all kinds of things as extraction medium, just to learn more about our food. And we do that a lot. Like every week, we'll do some experiment in my house with that. And oil extractable stuff is fascinating. It's very similar to alcohol extractable stuff, by the way. And you can extract medicines that are alcohol soluble slash fat soluble using olive oil. You know, it's interesting. I don't think most people are aware of what you're talking about. Like if you take cumin and other things, like you might cook Mexican food with cumin, what people don't catch on to is what we typically call herbs. Some of them are actually spices, but some of them break down with liquid water and heat, other ones in the oil. How many people out there know that most curries are oil soluble? So when you see somebody cooking with the curry, if they don't take the time to cook the curry into the oil, they haven't released all the benefits and all the aromas that could come. It's very interesting. The whole idea of something being oil soluble. When I first found it, I was like, wow, how can this be? It doesn't actually make logical sense to me. It's interesting too, because you're talking about aromatics and aromatics are related to color pigments and they all are derived from tryptophan, tyrosine, and phenylalanine. Those three amino acids, all the aromatic compounds, the things you smell come from those three amino acids and all the color pigments do as well. So many of those, by the way, those aromatics and many of those color pigments are fat soluble. So they're extracted by oil. I think cumin is one, isn't it? Like typically if you're going to make your own taco mix, uh, you don't typically people don't buy those anymore because there's so much bad stuff in the packets to include the amount of salt and bad salt that you're getting. But these things are easy to make. If you just take regular chili powder and cumin and mix maybe three parts or two parts of the chili powder to one of the cumin and you use the oil to, to make it soluble, uh, it makes a really great taco meat. All you need is salt or maybe garlic or oregano on top of that. And this is what's the importance of these things is to get people away from going to the supermarket, grabbing the taco flavoring packet. You don't want to do that anymore. And it's so easy 
to make a better version. Uh, we've been convinced that, oh, all you got to do is open this envelope. Well, no, that, that food is crap. That food is bad for you. Is the flavor there? It's like the joke. I know you made the joke too, David. When we were in San Diego, there's so much good Mexican food that we used to call Taco Bell taco smell because it smells like tacos, but that's about it, right? <laughs> or taco hell. Exactly. Because uh, that's what it is after you eat it. <laughs> you know, this this thing of the oil solubility of cumin that you're bringing up, I just want to emphasize this other piece of it, which is you're right, it's oil soluble. But cumin oil by itself is one of the world's great medicines. Black cumin oil or black seed oil, many people know, is one of the great oils in the world, very highly regarded in Middle Eastern countries and also Mediterranean countries. So something to be aware of and something to look into. And again, with that, I go to the best guys in the world. And and I think the best in terms of pressing cold processed cumin oil organic is uh, Andreas, my friend, Andreas Wecker, who's, he won the gold medal in 1996 in gymnastics. That's the kind of guy he is German mind, German engineer, and uh, he makes pressing machines. So he has a really good oil extraction technology. What does the black seed oil actually do to you when you take it for healing purposes? It's considered one of the great heal alls. It can be used for everything. Let's say somebody has a cough, cold, fever, or whatever they're, you know, they're, they're down for the day. You just give them a couple tablespoons of black seed oil, warm black seed oil. In Ayurveda, they do black seed oil, warm black seed oil enemas and sesame oil enemas. And black seed again is black. So just that point I want to bring in here is that black foods and black herbs increase longevity and they increase in the Taoist system, Jing, which is vital primordial life force energy. So it's no surprise to me that it's the black cumin that has this reputation and lots of aromatic medicines in black cumin. And again, those are usually caught up in almost every case in the oil when you do an oil extraction or just do an oil press of the cumin. So we had an episode, I don't know if you remember it, Jason, there was a guy who couldn't breathe, I think was one of those, remember when everyone was losing their ability to breathe normally and their sense of smell and taste were going, he, this was early on, thought he had contracted Covidius minimus, went into the hospital. I think they actually hit him with remdesivir, but he ended up putting himself back together with black seed oil after the fact, after the damage. It's one of the great things. And, and the way that cumin grows too is it's, you know, it's ginger family. So it's fun to go out and collect it. And I've had the opportunity in Maui with my friends out on the Hana side of Maui, Kipahulu side of Maui, which is at the other side of the Hana Highway, where, you know, we'll go to yoga class and then go pick cumin in the morning. And it's just such a fun group community experience. And by the way, not only can you press, you know, oils out of it, not only can you use it as a spice and extract it with olive oil and that kind of stuff, you can also make one really good teas with it. And we make a lot of cumin tea out there. All right. Are we there, Jason? Should we move along to the tabacky that ain't wacky? <laughs> I think we got it. All right. Let's move on. So when you came, you had some, I don't think cured is the right word. You had some dried, untouched, unmolested tobacco. You and I walked down to the beach um, and we, you, you fast rolled one with one of the little rolling things you had. It's so clean and it's so smooth and it's a whole other idea than I think most people that live in this country have of tobacco, but you've been growing it. Have you not? Yes. And I got into it very roundabout 20 years ago. At a, I was at a, I was in the Catskill mountains actually, and it was an ayahuasca gathering. And so we drank the ayahuasca. And in that experience, the ayahuasca told me like, Hey, you're going to get into growing tobacco and that's going to be your thing. And I was like, well, huh? I mean, I, I was, I came from where everybody else came from. I was like tobacco, like, huh? I was like cigarettes. What? 
and then I started digging and I, you know, I, I took that message very seriously because it was a, an important message. It wasn't just a whim. It was like, this is what you're going to do. You're going to become the best at it. This is your gig. And I was like, okay, okay, whatever. So then I started digging and started growing plants immediately, started growing tobacco plants immediately and, and just kept digging down. So let me just say and preface everything with this one statement. The reason why they want to get you off of tobacco and get you away from tobacco is because tobacco takes your prayers straight to heaven. That's the underlying reason why they don't want it in your hands, because it helps your will to manifest in this world. Now, if we're, let's say, a disturbed human being and we're a bankster, you know, what are those banksters smoking up there in those ivory towers? They're smoking big old cigars. They keep manifesting more of their fake currency, more of their, that illegitimate money. You know what I'm saying? But it could also be used with positive intent. Let's say somebody is in need of prayers and healing, then we could all as a community, smoke the peace pipe and send out prayers and healing to that person. And that's very powerful, especially in a group experience to share the peace pipe and send the prayers out. Very awesome. It's one of my favorite things actually. So, I mean, to me, as I started to think about that, because I hadn't thought about it in a long time, it reminded me of where you and I grew up. Remember the gypsum weed? Yep, of course. So, so you've got that gypsum weed and that was used by people who know what they're doing. Don't, that can be poisonous. So be careful. Don't just go mess with gypsum weed, but there were natural hemp's that were growing around before people were here. There were natural tobaccos that were growing around. And these are the things that, you know, they were put into the creation for a reason. And what we have come to know about tobacco is that it can kill you because of all the things they put in it. That's it. Okay. So they put, they've put in 800 different additives and 4,000 chemicals. That is so typical of the human race in the time that we have just come through. I think we're actually now on the other side of it where we're starting to plant the seeds for the next civilization to come. And part of that is the message that I have here today of like, get back to understanding the olive tree from the roots and the whole process of how the olive tree works and how olive oil is made. Understand the whole process of what tobacco is, where it comes from, how to grow it. How, do, how does it, what happens naturally? You just leave the plant alone. What, what does it do? And I have noticed so many amazing things. I mean, I'm getting chills over my whole body crew. I have to tell you, it's, it, that's how deeply it, this plant has so touched my soul and so shocked me so many times, year after year. I'm like, you think you understand it. Then you go, I don't understand anything. Like, what is this? So, you know, I'm going to get into what happened this year. We had, um, I've been growing tobacco for 20 years and it's just a hobby thing, you know, on the side. It's not like I'm growing it for, you know, some commercial interest or whatever. Just, it's just fun. And, uh, and it's just a favorite, you know, it's just like the same way I grow apples and oranges and stuff. At any rate, what ends up happening is, is that this year we had our first, our first batches of tobaccos came from Canada. And I have a particular batch, which is a Nicotiana rustica, which we can get into that was dug up out of a tomb in, near Thunder Bay, Ontario. And I was one of 25 people to get the original seeds of that find. The seeds were estimated to be 800 to a thousand years old. And I've grown that for 18 or 19 years, that variety. And I was sent some of that down. I sent um, some flowering tobaccos down, which is the Nicotiana Alata and Sylvester and some of the ones that are more known for their flowers. And I sent down some um, just other you know mixes that had grown up there. But what we got down here when it was all said and done actually wasn't any of those. It, it, I, I noticed that my batch had hybridized with, with the flowering tobacco. So my Rustica, the favorite that came from that tomb that was you know thousand years old, had had crossed into 
the flowering tobaccos, which I didn't even know was possible. And then I found out the real story and, and that's been blowing my mind, which we're going to get into in this podcast. I want to get into this with everybody. The genetics of this are so extremely unusual. I don't know any other genus, which Nicotiana is the genus of tobacco that has 81 species. That's how we're, where our count is today that can all interbreed with each other at some level. That's a shocker to me. I don't think that exists. Is it the same species and genus? Nope. Different species. See, that's genus. crazy. That's crazy. That's crazy stuff. Yep. And, and, and they can interbreed with each other at various different levels of success. Um, but almost every single one of them can interbreed with every single other one of them. And then we get into the aloe polyploids. Now, what the heck's an aloe polyploid? Well, rustica itself and tobacco itself. Now, those are the two big ones in the world. Tobacco, nicotiana tobacco is smoking tobacco, is the Caribbean tobacco, the Orinoco tobacco that John Rolfe brought to Virginia. That tobacco, that particular one is probably 99% of what the market is out there or more, is an aloe polyploid, which means it never came from nature originally. It's actually two other ones mixed together, which we've we've known that for quite some time. And that's been well worked out and genetically sequenced that it's actually about 50%, maybe 49% nicotine. Nicotiana Sylvester and about 50 to 51% um, Nicotiana Tomentosi Formis. Why is it Sylvester? Because that every time I hear that name, that's related to the felines, right? In this context, it's related to the forest. So forest tobacco is Nicotiana Sylvester. Hmm, that's interesting as can be. Um, you know, I was always fascinated with the four corners and the cliff dwellings and um we, my wife and I had been across so many times, San Diego to Rhode Island and back and forth. I think we've done it 30, close to 38 times. I don't even know. Um, one trip being one count. So back and forth 38 times. We kept stopping to see like Canyon de Chez, mind blowing. Uh, we finally got out to Chaco and they have those, uh, I think they call them Kivas, the big round holes, but there are some bigger ones at Canyon de Chez and there were these what do you call them? The older groups of the Indians, the elders, the elders were out there and they were explaining that um, when they were doing, and they didn't do a rain dance per se is what he said, where they were, what they did is they got out their pipes and they smoked tobacco so that their prayers would go to heaven. And as they were smoking, they imagined that the, the puff of smoke was the rain cloud. And then that puff of smoke would convert to the rain cloud. And I just think it's interesting now that I'm thinking about that based on what you've said. This plant, tobacco, as a student of plant spirit medicine and all of the amazing psychoactive plants in the world from the magic mushrooms to the peyotes to the San Pedros or Wachumas to the ayahuascas of the world, tobacco, according to the shamans of South America and their traditions and also of North America and Native American church, is that's the core of it all. This is the center of it all. And I never could get that. I was like, what do you mean tobacco of all things? Like that's it because tobacco, what it, it's a driver. Nicotine's a driver. The reason why it's so dangerous to have all these chemicals, the 800 additives, the 4,000 chemicals is because the nicotine is vitamin B3. It dilates every single cell in your body. Every single cell in your body has a, has a nicotine receptor. Every single cell in nature in every creature in nature has nicotine receptors, including amoebas. So this idea that we have cannabinoid receptors in our cells is nowhere near as abundant as the amount of nicotine receptors that we have in our cells. Um, there, it, nicotine is a dominant factor in metabolism of all animal cells. 
and this is has, is related to the that mitochondrial energy production system. Um, it's the vitamin B three, nicotine, nicotinic acid, nicotinamide, um, NADH, NADH plus. These compounds are all basically identical. It's all basically nicotine and they're dilators and they drive. So for example, if you have the chemicals in there, you're going to be driving all those darn chemicals right into the depth of every cell in your body. You never want to do that. It's the most dangerous thing in the world. But if you don't have any chemicals in there, then what you're doing is you're driving your intention into the depths of every cell in your body because every cell in your body is eavesdropping on your thoughts. Imagine getting your prayers right and getting your prayer circle right and then do, using tobacco as a tool to bring those prayers to heaven. So based on what you just said, I started to imagine that if you were to take cannabis on one side and tobacco on the other, that that must be evidence that tobacco is far more ancient than cannabis. Do you agree with that? I personally agree with that myself. Uh, I think that the likely, you know, it's hard to say what actually the, the um, star system Sirius really is. I like the way Steiner says it. He says it's a colony of souls. So we'll just say that. But the connection of cannabis to that colony of souls, the star system, Sirius, the dog star, is is real. It's a legitimate thing. And I could go on about that and we could do a whole show about cannabis and just some of my experiences with that. I'm not a cannabis grower. I'm a tobacco grower. Tobacco, they say, is different. It's actually from the earth itself. It's from South America, by the way. All the cultivars can be traced back to South America. And to me, that's really what's so important about tobacco is the the cannabis is taking you away, right? The flower takes you away. It's as Steiner would say, luciferic. It takes you out and it's searching. Whereas the leaf is working. It's the workhorse. It's working through you. It's working with you. It's your day-to-day companion. See, tobacco, we're using leaves, not flowers. And it, it's grounding and earthing and it brings you back to earth. Now the two together, the cannabis and and tobacco combination is a is union of east and west and that's why people immediately lock onto that combination and and that's why that combination works you know it's kind of a it's a form of herbalism right to know the what mixes together but you could mix many other things with the tobacco as north american natives did native people in north america did not have john rolf's uh, orinoco tobacco or his caribbean tobacco or his tobacco they had rustica tobacco here in north america which is much stronger and therefore you need to dilute it you make knickknacks or smoking mixes with the rustica because it's stronger by the way turns out that rustica too nicotiana rustica is one of the 81 different varieties of nicotianas is also an aloe polyploid which means it's it exists from two other sources meaning you can breed for it which is um unge- or let's see od- odorata odorata and let's see what the other one is it's um paniculata nicotiana paniculata those two and then to some degree nitiana those three That's what creates the rustica aloe polyploid or this thing that sits independently in North America as the native tobacco was bred for in ancient times and and it's settled into its own energetic canyon, so to speak. There was a great phrase for that. It's called a creode. That's a good good word to know, a creode. It's an energetic creode and it sits there and therefore is stable as its own aloe polyploid. So both rustica and tobaccum were bred for in ancient times and most likely brought from South America to North. So that's interesting. You're saying that tobacco is an earth-based uh, influential plant. Were you indicating that cannabis in some minds is related to the Pleiades in some way? Um, maybe not Pleiades. I would say Dog Star for sure. It could be Pleiades too, but Dog Star and Sirius. Is Sirius, Sirius isn't in the Pleiades. Sirius is where... 
Orion's belt kind of points to. Same part of the sky, the winter sky. It's biblical. Mm-hmm. It's biblical in context. I believe it's Job 38 something. Who can bind the fleet, bind as in bound? Who can bind the sweet influences of the Pleiades or loose or let loose the bands of Orion being Orion's belt? That's straight out of the Bible. So that's a whole part of the sky that I consider winter sky. Interesting. Cool. There's another one actually in Job that talks about what made Arcturus, Orion, the Pleiades, and whatever they mean by the chambers of the South, who says that the sky clock is not in the Bible. By the way, uh, while we're off on the small tangent, uh, my friend who was raised in Iraq and luckily escaped the wars and the bath party, what the bath party did to its own people, he sent me... Um, Quran verses that are all about the sky clock. And I mean, it is straight on one-to-one. I'll cover them at some point, but let's keep going. Where do we go from here? Okay. So then uses of tobacco. So not everybody smoked tobacco in North America. Generally native people would make knickknacks or they would mix it with other herbs and they would smoke it. When you get more into Central America and the big civilizations of Central America, most of the like everyday common people, they actually chewed tobacco and uh, the elite smoked it. And that was a general rule, unless it was like a holiday or something, and then everybody would would celebrate and smoke it. But when you get into the Amazon, get deep down there, you can you can see another part of the tobacco delivery system, which is rape, which is the hape they say, or rape, which is the basically a snuff where you blow the tobacco up your nose or have someone do it for you, and you mix it with certain herbs, and and then you get a nice interesting effect. Now that's the rawest way to do it for sure. That's the way that is most natural and you do not disturb the tobacco really at all. All you're doing is just powdering it to a fine powder and then boom, up the nose, usually with the ash of uh, the jaguar cacao, the aroma bicolor, the ash of the bark of that tree. And, uh, and traditionally in South America would be coca also. You'd use coca leaf powder and other things, many other different trees and, uh, and herbs have been used in that rape or hape mix. So we are at the top of the hour. So David, are people still linking off the site to come get stuff from you? Yes. And and your code is still active. I just checked it. So it's 777 is your code. So anybody who comes in with Crow's code gets 10% off and that's at shop.davidwolf.com. All right. Just let me hit the website before I close up hour one here. So on the top row, it's the fourth. It has a picture of an avocado. It says David Wolf on it. These are top quality things. I mean, even when I'm so busy, David sends me stuff from time to time. You're never going to get better quality. And so this is one of the early things we put up and you get a discount. Um, Is there anywhere else people can find you? This is our one. So I don't know if you want to give out any kind of an email or anything. Probably not. Yeah, probably the best way to to track me down is maybe my Telegram chat. It's uh, HTTPS colon slash slash T dot me forward slash David Avocado Wolf. Okay, perfect. That's going to bring hour one of episode 462 with Jason Lingren and David Avocado Wolf to a close. The first hour has been free to everybody. Members know to go over to crow777radio.com, crrow seven radiocom If you're a member, you get the full two-hour, two-hour-plus episode, but you also get free access to the movie Shoot the Moon. Just last night, Jason and I were talking. He won another award from India. When we put it out, no one was touching it. Now it's got like 10, I think minimally 10 awards. It's being well-received, and that shows a big part of where the world is now going. Minds are coming online. People are coming out of their slumber. 
things are about to change, really, really, really change. Um, how long we go through hardship is completely dependent on us, but I hope to see you over at Crow777radio.com for hour two, and I'd like to wish you all a happy, healthy, and higher-minded new era. Cheers.